0: welcome to Spy Hearts Podcast, boys and girls. As you guys know, we're the podcast that goes deep undercover into spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. Oh, shiitake mushrooms. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. Anyway, sorry about that, guys. So you may have had a hit there of what we're doing this week, but Cam, enlighten us. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we are tackling 2001's Spy Kids. We are launching a new franchise. We've got four of these to tackle. But this week, we're starting with the first entry, as I said,
0: released in 2001. I have a lot to say about this film when it comes to previous experience. Okay. um, For once, which is actually quite nice. But so what I'll do, I'll, I'll do the Letterbox.com synopsis and we'll come back to it. Uh, This is a... Uh, well... <clears throat> Grab your pillows, kids. It might just be nap time when it comes to this uh, letterbox.com synopsis. (sighs) Spy kids. Real spies, only smaller. Carmen and Juni think their parents are boring. Little do they know that in their day, Gregorio and Ingrid Cortez were the top secret agents for their respective countries. They gave up that life to raise their children. Now... The disappearances of several of their old colleagues forces the Cortez's return from retirement. But what they didn't count on was Carmen and Juni joining the family business. This was
1: clearly not written by someone who's written children's storybooks.
0: (laughs) It's like, yeah, one word per page and then there's lots of of pictures.
1: Yeah, yeah, like keep it simple. Uh, Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, that sums up the movie. Although it's weird, you and I have tackled some movies that were very complicated. Uh, Bridge of Spies, for example, um, not that labyrinthine in their description as this movie <laughs> on Letterboxd.
0: No, I think Funeral in Berlin was quite short on its description as well. Yeah, if I remember correctly, and that's probably one of the probably one of the more in-depth films I think we've ever covered, or at least it stumped me.
1: Little Drummer Girl was fairly in uh, fairly. Um, complex, um, I guess further down the road we'll have stuff like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy we'll have to uh, track those in comparison to these spy kids right
0: up. <laughs> this is when my second watch always comes in handy, especially with these really uh, a labyrinthian, as you say, films. This is our first kids film that we're tackling after so many episodes now, a year and a bit so far, and it's actually quite interesting. It's taken us this long to get to this sort of family-friendly stories. Wait, what? I thought Little Drummer Girl was a children's story. (laughs) That scene where she goes out in the desert and learns to become a a G.I. Jane. Yeah, that's a real rollicking time for you and the kids.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. I guess, I mean, you can make the argument for something like Men in Black. Uh, Men in Black 2, you know, that franchise is fairly family friendly. But yeah, we haven't done an all-out kids movie. And we have a whole bunch on our list to tackle in the future. You know, gems like the uh, Boss Baby movies or Cars 2. There's a few out there, uh, Spies in Disguise, but I don't know why, but
0: yeah, it's taken us a while to get to one. I, I think there's like a little bit of hesitation there. It it almost feels slightly strange for us to tackle, but I'm glad we're starting off with maybe the pinnacle. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not going to say Maybe. It, not this film necessarily, but in terms of the, the franchise, you think of say Boss sure. Baby. I don't think it holds up against Spy Kids, yeah, and nor does say you know Cats and Dogs. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's some
1: real uh, low hanging fruit there that may produce fun episodes where we have a you know we can really laugh a lot and joke around and hopefully have some guests on to discuss the um, evolution of the story of the Cats and Dogs franchise, but. Um, there's not a lot that are held at a high level where people regard them really that much publicly. Like Spy Kids is something you'll hear people mention on Twitter, for example. You're not going to hear a lot of Spies in Disguise mentions. Okay, so I
0: sort of alluded to it before, but these films had a particular place in my childhood. So I'll go to you first, Cam, because you know, you're know you decades older than me. What are you, What's your memory of this film? Well, I grew up on Wizard of Oz, so mm. that was the movie I saw in
1: theaters, and it was during the Depression. It was a tough time. <laughs> it really helped raise our spirits that, you know, as we were moving from one dust bowl to the next. Um, no, <laughs> the truth is Spy Kids was a movie that came along for me in kind of a bad time. I was 2001. I was 20 years old. There was no way I was going to go see Spy Kids in theaters. And I was a fan of Robert Rodriguez. I had loved Desperado um, from Dusk Till Dawn. I went and saw the faculty in theaters. Um, I tracked down El Mariachi when it hit video. So he was one of those guys at that era that there was so much excitement around. The same way there was with like Tarantino and Kevin Smith, for example. These um, filmmakers that like the film geek crowd really championed. And Robert Rodriguez was One of those big guys. And I remember tracking him and thinking, you know, seeing trailers for the faculty and being like, this guy's about to blow up. Like, he's going to become one of our big filmmakers. And, you know, the faculty didn't do that well. It did okay. But it was not a huge smash we talk about to this day. And I do remember Spy Kids coming out and getting pretty positive reviews and being really interested to see where he was going to go as a filmmaker. But also, again, I was 20 years old. The chances of me and my friends going out to see Spy Kids on a weekend was pretty slim, and I was definitely not going to be doing the one ticket for Spy Kids, please kind of thing. So I ended up seeing it much later. Um, I think it was a free movie channel we had that um, just showed up uh, in Canada, and I did watch it one night and enjoyed it mostly. It did. I didn't walk away from it um, with the same sort of um, appreciation I had for like Desperado or From Dust Till Dawn, where I watched them multiple times but overall i was like yeah that was pretty fun not any sort of like lingering memories really it was a very much a one and done didn't really think that much about it afterwards and i actually never watched any of the sequels so
0: yeah this might be a, a first where i've seen them all and you haven't that's uh, yeah it will be how embarrassing for me mm. <laughs> um um well, and, and you said you know you wouldn't be the one ticket guy by yourself, and that's true. You would buy all of the tickets and and make sure that no one else takes the showing up from you, so you can really enjoy your time with the Spy Kids. And I would be in my Thumb Thumb costume that I made. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you could take it off, I can't really see your face at the moment, mate. To be honest with you, <laughs> you prefer that though. You you requested it. <laughs> um, as for me, uh, keen listeners might remember I'm from a big family i have four brothers and as such there's a couple that are younger than me a couple that are older and so what we watched in our house was skewed sometimes it would be kids stuff sometimes it would be for slightly old kids and so i was 14 when this came out maybe slightly too old but probably right in the right department to watch it i definitely saw it in theaters and i remember hearing about uh, robert rodriguez and I knew about things like From Dust Till Dawn, but I'd never seen any of them. So my first Rodriguez experience is this film. Right. So I had a very different take on the director when I saw his other work later on, his older work afterwards. But yeah, this was a film that was often played. We definitely had it on VHS, most likely picked it up on DVD. Things like, oh, shiitake mushrooms was a line that me and my brothers you know, shouted at each other whenever we dropped stuff on the floor. It, it was just one of those films that got played in our house quite a lot.
1: It feels like a movie that was perfect for that sort of era where if you played it, it's like 90 minutes, very quick, and it never stops with things happening. It's just, you know, action scene after joke after action scene after joke. Like it just keeps piling things on. It has high energy. I can understand how it's a movie that, especially to a young viewer, they would throw it on all the time.
0: And, and my parents were awful. So they would just put films on and just leave us to it, basically. Yeah. That sounds like the story of, um, you know, a lot of children's lives. Yeah. I, I love you, Mum and Dad. I'm just taking the mickey. Not that they're listening. <laughs> but yeah, so I kind of want to get into how this guy made these films because I know now that he made From Dust to Dawn and Desperado, and they're very different films to this.
1: Yeah. So Robert Rodriguez is a director that I think, um, I'm curious how people see him now, but as I said at the time, he was incredibly exciting. He was someone who was very much a rising talent. He was um, based out of Texas, but his family descends from Mexico. And he brought a real sense of originality and style to movies that we hadn't seen, especially from the independent world. His first film was El Mariachi, which would later be kind of remade as Desperado, and It was this incredibly stylish action film shot on a shoestring budget. He'd scraped together, you know, something like $10,000 or something to make this movie. And it got a lot of um, attention at the film festivals and launched his career. So he was someone who was very exciting, but he was also a do-it-yourself kind of guy. Like, he would direct his movies, produce his movies, write his movies, edit his movies. Um, we'll talk about Spy Kids, where he's doing the special effects supervising on his films. He's also involved with the music. Um, he does all the camera operating. He is someone who is very hands-on, and that felt, at the time, incredibly exciting. You know, because we're still in the 90s, looking at this era of the big studio movies. You know, every weekend, it's something like The Firm opening, or, you know, Sleepless in Seattle. These big, star-driven studio movies made by very recognizable directors and, you know, obviously top to bottom Hollywood talent making them. And then you have a guy who's like, hey, I'm from Texas and I make these movies often in my backyard and edit them in my garage. And somehow they're showing up on the silver screen. Incredibly exciting. I'm, I'm just curious, like, at what point did any of this become aware to
0: you as someone who's seen, you know, a handful of his movies? Definitely after Spy Kids. Mm-hmm. It was, I, I would say probably when I got around the age of 17, 18 and started watching films that I wanted to watch because I was interested in them. And I was always into sort of vampires and zombies. So you can see how that all got connected there.
1: Yeah. So yeah, like he does in 96 from Dust till dawn follows that up with the faculty in 98. And then we get Spy Kids and you want to know the origins. It comes from a couple places at the time He was, as I said, sort of on the cusp of being one of the major directors. And he never really got there. Like, he never seemed that interested. If you look at it now from 2021, he has kind of stuck to his own world. He makes, you know, genre films. He does occasionally wander in and do an episode of The Mandalorian, for example. But by and large, he really does make his own films and he was being courted to make a lot of movies for the studios like they wanted him on the first x-men he was offered planet of the apes the movie that tim burton ultimately did he was also offered um, superman lives which tim burton wound up being attached to and never happened the nick cage starring superman movie but he decided he still wanted to do the movies that he enjoyed making and this film um was inspired by a short he made did you ever hear of the movie four rooms no i can't say i did okay four rooms was a 1995 anthology film that featured um four segments it was set during new year's eve in a hotel and tim roth is sort of a bumbling bellboy character who wanders between each of these rooms with eccentric um you know uh, characters staying in each room so the segments were directed by alexander rockwell alison anders Robert Rodriguez, and Quentin Tarantino. And there was a lot of buzz around this movie because it was coming out in the wake of Pulp Fiction and would feature a segment directed by Tarantino. And the fact that this movie seems somewhat unfamiliar to you does not shock me at all because it was a real disappointment.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. But you've got, I mean, the only director that I recognize is Tarantino. I don't know about the other two. Obviously, Rodriguez we know from this film. But what had he done by this point? Was this his where was the connection that had he done like dust till dawn before doing this he had not dust till dawn but
1: he would have he would have done el mariachi and i'm not sure where that falls in the timeline with desperado he's probably attached or at least starting on desperado around the time he does four yeah. rooms all right so um yeah, I mean, um, Alison Anders and Alexander Rockwell, I think, still direct things, but they aren't prominent at all. At the time, they were coming out of the indie movement, so it was kind of like, let's put together four really interesting indie directors. And the Tarantino segment is definitely worth checking out, but the best one of the group is um, the one done by Rodriguez called The Misbehaviors*, And it's about a couple, played by Antonio Banderas and Tamlin Tamita who have to go out for the night and leave their terror kids with bellboy tim roth and it's just chaos and these two kids pulling pranks and getting involved in a murder and all this sort of stuff like it's really high concept craziness with two kids doing pratfalls and all sorts of wackiness and um there was a sequence where the whole family's dressed up and the two kids are wearing tuxedos and rodriguez says he thought to himself wow those kids look like little james bonds and that was sort of the germ of the idea for spy kids So, um, ultimately, he would attach himself to something that would have a much longer lifespan
0: than Four Rooms, (laughs) which would be the Spy Kids franchise. I'm genuinely surprised you didn't say it was something to do with his kids. Like, I'll make a film that my kids can watch, because right now I've not made any films that my kids can watch. I don't know if he's had kids, maybe he hasn't had kids, but I I have assumed that was the genesis of it.
1: Oh, there's more like it kind of comes from a few different angles because that was a very primary one. That was the one where it really caused him to go, hey, I could write a whole movie on this because he felt very confident working with the two kids here Mm -hmm. that he could make a whole movie with kids. But also his uncle, Gregario Rodriguez, was an FBI agent. So that was a very big inspiration just from hearing stories of his uncle. And also he says when he was a kid, he shot home movies. He had it was a 10 child family. And he would cast his brothers and sisters as the characters in the movies. And he loved the combination of action and kids, you know, joking around. And so to him, it was really returning to his roots as a filmmaker of what he'd started early on. So he really was excited about that. He said the only reason he did El Mariachi was because he knew he could sell it to the Spanish video market. You know, it's an action film. You can easily sell it off versus a kid's movie, which is maybe a little riskier. So That was sort of the origins of Spy Kids. Um, Really interesting in that we tackle so many movies where it's like, oh yeah, they were inspired by seeing blank. I think with what was it taken? The idea of a father buying a karaoke machine. Yeah. Whereas here, it very much is like multiple different influences all working together to create this 2001
0: film. As you say, it was gestating over a large period of time. But you've you've blown me away at the fact that it was to do with a film that he made, and there was no connection to you know, wanting to provide something for your kids, because you always hear that. People go back to something or they, they, they do something for their kids. Um, so that's, that's genuinely surprised me because, well, he's just known for much gorier stuff. It just seems like a complete genre switch for him.
1: Yeah, and he did have kids at the time. So I would have to imagine that's in the back of his head as well. He's just never really expressed that as much in interviews as much as these other um, anecdotes that are, I guess, more well-publicized. But it wouldn't shock me because I believe... Uh, Juni, the boy's middle name, is derived from his own children's names. Uh, I don't think it's in this film, but it comes later down the road. So I, I do think the Spy Kids was a family affair uh, as well. And I know later on he does Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and that film has a co-writing credit from his young son, who was like, I don't know, ten at the time. He's minted now. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> he's paid better than we are. That's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> he's living off that Shark Boy money i wish i had shark boy money i got nothing (laughs) so rodriguez was a guy who liked to make his movies cheap and he said he looked at the budgets for movies like inspector gadget or 102 dalmatians and was just like why why do these movies cost so much money so he decided he could do this one for 36 million dollars and he said step number one he did not hire a special effects supervisor. He was just going to learn how to do it all himself. This was his
0: first real foray into CG. So I've known a lot of people that are self-employed. And a lot of the times they'll do two jobs on, a, on like a set or in a project to try and get two revenue streams from the same job. Mm-hmm. So usually when I hear someone say that, it's like he wants two payments. But it just sounds like he's just trying to just, you know, save as much money as he can. So it's not even for that. He's actually adding more work to his plate. And directing is not an easy thing to do. I think it is just like, it's
1: probably a certain aspect of creative control. He gets to make the Mm. stories he wants to make and have them look as he wants them to look. But also, because he shoots things low budget, there wouldn't be a lot of pressure coming down on top of him. Um, If it's kind of like, I do everything on this movie, I'm sure the studio is just like, "Uh, okay, I guess just keep doing what you're
0: doing. But then... Uh, not to jump in, but is that not a bit concerning? I, I don't know if this was a big film. It was. With a, does it have a big, you know, production company behind it? But just when someone turns up and goes, oh, "I'll do it," you don't want to get an expert to do that. No, nah, no, nah, I've got it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm sure
1: the grosses, though, from like Desperado and from Dust to Dawn, you know, they weren't huge hits, but they were profitable, and they probably the takeaway was, okay, he knows what he's doing.
0: Go nuts yeah at at directing not you know special effects
1: well he also yeah but he did more on that he's also camera operator he's editing those films he's doing the music for them he's producing them he's writing them so he's kind of just a one-man film studio in a lot of ways i mean obviously he has a sizable crew working with him but he likes to mastermind all the departments and uh Well, I think we'll talk about that as we go forward into Spy Kids, whether that worked for you, because I think it's very clear that this man (laughs) was in charge of many of the departments on this film.
0: (laughs) See, I'm fascinated by this because you weren't a fan of it because it wasn't really your film. Let's be honest. When it came out, it was not targeted at you and you were that full on angsty goth cam that we like to talk about by this point. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Black nail polish, everything. Yeah. Yeah, which you're still rocking now, and you still got it at the age of a thousand. So it's all good, buddy. But I know you've got a little bit more for me, so keep going. Yeah, so another aspect of,
1: I think, keeping the budget low was Rodriguez said it was a real fight to have the film centered on a Latin American family. Um, Dimension, who produced the film, uh, for those that don't know, Dimension was an offshoot of Miramax. Miramax was the Weinstein Brothers studio. Dimension was run by the brother, Bob. And it handled genre fare largely, so a lot of the horror movies or sci-fi movies were coming out of Dimension. This was a Dimension film, but he said that like he got a lot of arguments from the studio saying, "Why don't you just make them American?" And he would say, "They are, they're Latin American." And he said he won the argument ultimately because they kept saying, "Why are you not just making it more standard, more you know, boiled down to what the audience is the most familiar with?" And he said, "I don't know, like James Bond is really British." You're not making them American. And they were like, huh, fair point. Well, proceed.
0: (laughs) Sorry, what was that? The Weinsteins being ignorant. (sighs) I'm surprised. Shocking, really. Yeah, no kidding.
1: Mm. Uh, But I would also question whether he would have won that argument if it was a $100 million movie.
0: So you're saying because he's doing it on the cheap, he has a little bit more sway when it comes to casting. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I can... I can understand that bargaining chip, plus, like you say, the previous films were hits some Mm -hmm. way, shape, or form. I mean, I had heard of From Dust or Dawn before I ever saw this film. I'd never seen it, but at least it means the legend was powerful enough that in 2001, I knew this was his film.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, he said the original script for this movie was really ambitious, featured uh, a lot more action, it was very complex, and a lot of those elements would wind up in the sequel, so we can talk about that when we tackle the second one, because there was a lot of holdovers from the original script from this film. Um, Also, I think a notable thing to mention is originally Kelly Preston was cast as Ingrid Cortez, the mother slash wife in this film. And she had to drop out due to a pregnancy slash giving birth. And uh, so they brought in Carla Gugino, who at the time was only 28 years old. And so there was some concern from her just about whether she could pull this off. And Rodriguez assuaged her fears and said don't worry it'll work out okay but it's something that's interesting to look back on now because this was a pairing of her at 28 and um antonio banderas at 40 and uh so it's up to the movie to ultimately
0: sell you on that i i will just say i never got that impression that either means that she looks older than that age or or antonio banderas is timeless
1: i'm leaning more towards the latter (laughs) i hope it's the latter
0: i hope it's the latter
1: Antonio Banderas will outlive us all.
0: I think so. I think so.
1: He's the real Dorian Gray. <laughs> wait, wait,
0: wait. Zorian
1: Gray. <laughs> yes. That's pretty bad. I'm sorry. About no, that. no, that's amazing. We're sticking with it. Um, so as I said, the budget was $36 million. Domestically, it did 112.7. International 35.2 for a worldwide total of $147.9 million. Can't complain about that. For a kid's film?
0: Yeah. I mean, we have no comparison point at this stage. It's our first kid's film. But I I trust from how you said it, that was a successful kid's film.
1: And also not one put out by like, you know, Disney or Mm. 20th Century Fox. This is coming from Dimension, which is a smaller, you know, offshoot studio. So it was actually very impressive for a movie that wouldn't have had the marketing money that a Disney film would have.
0: And yet I heard about it and I definitely went with my family to see it. So even in the UK, it was a good marketing campaign. So Mm -hmm. well done.
1: Yeah. At the worldwide box office, it landed at number 28 for the year of 2001 between the Princess Diaries and the Mexican. I don't know if anyone remembers the Mexican. That was the Gore Verbinski film with Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. Uh, I actually never saw it. The top three for the year. Number one was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone slash Philosopher's Stone. I was about to correct you there. I was about to correct you. Scott, you and I go for Philosopher's Stone. That's how it's known in Canada as well as the UK. But uh, American audiences refer to it as the Sorcerer's Stone because I actually think this is very cynical on the part of the studio. They felt the American audience wouldn't understand the word philosopher. And I think, yes, they could.
0: Wasn't another film we were speaking about recently, the title changed because people wouldn't understand it. Oh, it was License to Kill, I think.
1: Yeah, it was originally called License Revoked. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, big word. A Mm. few syllables there. Revoked. Mm. Yeah. Tricky stuff. Uh, Number two was Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. And number
0: three was Monsters, Inc. That's a pretty big trio right there. (laughs) And that's a big kids film too. So it's got competition this year. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And just a few other spy movies open this year. Number 21, you referenced it earlier, Cats and Dogs. Came in uh, just above Spy Kids. Number 31, Spy Game, the Robert Redford, Brad Pitt film. Number 109, The Taylor of Panama with Pierce Brosnan. Number 144, Enigma, which we're going to be tackling. I don't know a lot about that one, but um, I believe it's a period era uh, spy
0: film. 2001 is the year that just keeps on giving. It is.
1: It. And number 200, Charlotte Gray with, I believe, Kate Blanchett. Uh, that one's... Um, pretty obscure we'll tackle that further down the road and i'm sure it'll be a huge download getter (laughs) (laughs) our our immediate follow-up to cats and dogs (laughs) five
0: okay so that sort of wraps up the behind the scenes on spy kids okay now cam let's hit the blue button close the door and then hit the green button on our review now i am curious to know young 20 year old angsty cam didn't like it what does i i don't know I don't want to age you, actually. I always make jokes, but I actually don't want to give you your age, so I won't say anything. What does What does Cam of 2021 think of Spy Kids?
1: Well, I just want to say, I didn't dislike it when I saw it the oh, first no. time. Oh, no, 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 I'm saying I didn't dislike it the first time. I thought it was okay. I didn't have, like, a negative opinion. I think I probably gave it, like, three stars or something like that if I were to look up my old review on it. But um, watching it last night was really interesting. In a lot of ways, I admire this movie. Um, I think it's a really interesting, just when you look at it from 2001, having a movie centered on a Latin American family, that's not something you would see. It feels original. And when I look at a movie like um, Coco from a few years ago, it was like Pixar very much like patting themselves on the back. Like, look what we did folks. And look, Coco is a great film and people should watch it. But you had Rodriguez fighting to tell these stories 20 years earlier, almost. And I think that, for me, makes the movie very interesting to revisit. And I love a lot of the talent assembled here. This is not a cast you would see in a movie like this. Even now, a lot of these, you're not going to see Danny Trejo cast in a lot of children's films. That to me is genuinely interesting. So in that regard, I found this movie very just ad- admirable from a you know behind-the-scenes point of view in terms of this being a family film from 2001. But also... In terms of just imagination, I give Rodriguez a lot of credit. He is just like firing on all cylinders at all times. Just how, how do I keep this movie going? How do I come up with a goofy new idea? How do I have a new joke? How do I have a new invention? It, does, it doesn't ever feel lazier. Like it's just resting on its laurels being like, ah, you know, a lot of kids movies just full on suck. They come up with a very like thin premise and are like, ah, whatever. Kids will watch anything. This at least feels like a filmmaker who knows he has to work to win over children for the duration. Now, on the flip side, I struggled a little more with it this time because I think for me, one thing that this movie does that doesn't work for me as much as an adult is when it comes to family entertainment, I think a lot of the great films that fall under this umbrella work for both kids and adults. And this one is pitched purely at kids a lot of the time. And I found some of the just hijinks. It was, I could, you know, give or take with a lot of it. Also, it's very hard to ignore the fact this movie looks terrible. Like the CG in it is unbelievably bad. And that really does factor into a lot of the effect sequences. And it made me genuinely kind of feel bad for the movie in a way that I wish that this was a movie that I could imagine 20 years from now, kids revisiting, especially young kids watching this and being inspired by it. But I just think it looks so unbelievably dated with its CG that it's going to be very hard, I think, to get young people to watch this movie. And I I just genuinely think that's sad. That's not even like coming from a standpoint of like, I don't like this movie because it looks bad. Just in terms of like, it's really unfortunate, I think.
0: That is... Not what I thought you'd come out with. Oh, okay. I, I'm I'm genuinely, uh, I don't know, you kind of throw me off my game a little bit now. Okay. What were you expecting? I had a feeling you would have watched this around the time it came out. You, you, know, It's just what you did. You always went to films. And if you were old enough, you went. And I had a feeling young Cam wouldn't have been a fan. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty much on track so far come to now I think you would have actually enjoyed it for what it was and maybe framed it differently in your expectations which I think trails me on to what I think about the film I've watched this twice and I also watched this a couple months ago when we did our spy versus spy on the live stream that we did so I've actually watched this about three times this year so I don't mind this film and I watched it a lot as a kid and I will preface I have a lot of uh, nostalgia attached to this film I have watched it Many times I can quote sequences. I like it. That hasn't gone away. Mm-hmm. And I think I actually appreciate it more now because I personally think Rodriguez is somehow able to create a story that is both fun for kids and adults. I think it actually is pitched right down the middle and it lands on both because there's some, you know, it's quite suggestive moments between the, the parents and you kind of get it from their perspective. They're over kind of overbearing and protective in the beginning and then they learn to trust them by the end kids are the other way around, they don't like their parents kids understand that, they don't like their parents they just immediately imprint themselves onto the spy kids and by the end they've kind of got out of their problems and learned to work as a team which most kids films do and most siblings kind of want that they want to be close to their siblings and it's also funny it's also punchy, it's 90 minutes I do not look at my watch when I'm watching this film it flies by for me And one thing I'll say as well, you know, we're a spy movie podcast. It has a reverence for the genre. Yeah. I don't think it ever pokes fun at the fact that it's a spy film. It's never making jokes about James Bond or, you know, there's no like shaken, not stirred, ha ha ha, like a a Johnny English would go for, for instance. It is, it's about spies. It doesn't take the mickey out of spies and it never really takes the mickey out of the audience either. It's always jokes that the characters are dealing with. uh, I could keep, you know, lauding this film. Ultimately, I think it's a really good kids' film because it works straight down the middle. Much like something like Monsters, Inc. came out the same year. Kids and adults can watch that film and both be entertained in the cinema and not want to claw their eyes out. And I think Spy Kids works exactly the same way. I think for me, the difference is, though,
1: like... First off, I want to agree. Like, this movie's very sincere. It's never mocking its characters. I think it's fully on board, and it has the spirit of like a 12 year old making a movie like rodriguez very much tapped into that inner child and that sense of sort of the gee whiz whiz bang kind of action sequence and goofiness like i like that the movie really owns the fact that you know there's like bubble gum weapons and things that are really goofy silly string things like that the imagination's there so i fully credit the movie's imagination i just find like it's a lot of kind of it feels just like a lot of juvenile humor in a way that I just don't really find that much humor in. And uh, like, you know, when you compare it to like Monsters Inc. from this year, like Monsters Inc. is a movie that I think has held up far better as just an overall film. I think it has a lot more to say. I think it's more interesting. This movie is just, it's very comic booky, which is to its credit. I think it delivers that. I just don't find it as involving
0: as an adult. It's I think I might have stumbled on maybe one of the things that's tripping you more than it's tripping me. And you've mentioned this before and you've put your hands up to it. You're not a comedy guy. Um, I'm very picky about comedy. Yeah. Sure. Well, you're even picky about me saying you're not a comedy guy. (laughs) I'm joyless. You're quite picky. I am joyless. (laughs) No soul. No soul. Um, And so I I think maybe that's something to do with it. Maybe there's uh, just a joyfulness to it that it, Maybe just doesn't you know fill you full of of happiness and joy i don't know I don't know really what I'm supposed to say with this, but i just think I just think it's like a great film i don't know, I don't know why I just like it. I could watch it over and over again. I just could so you don't have you don't have any issue
1: with the fact that like pretty much every action sequence looks terrible <laughs>
0: i I will grant you that the c g looks bad. Not a problem. I, I, I won't even try and defend it. There's uh, Every every action scene is held back by awkward-looking thumb men or jetpacks that look like they've just been hand-drawn on the screen. It ain't great. But then I look at media from this time, and that's a problem all over the place. We talk about Die Another Day it comes out like a year later. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> or Men in Black 2 as well. Yeah. Sure, all around the same time period. And I don't think I'm going to levy the CG against the film, apart from maybe like a minor tick against it. it, It's held back by the restrictions of the time and perhaps the restrictions of its director.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously someone who's coming in learning special effects versus having a a real grasp on how they work. So I can give them points for the learning. But do you think like this is a movie that like 20 years from now will be watchable to children?
0: To children? Yes. 100 percent maybe not adults i think me and people like me and you would sit there and go oh did you see that jet pack? Mm. <laughs> but then you know we're a bit wanky sometimes this is what we do um we're just we're boring soulless adults uh there's meant to be more joy here and and this film also has a stunning cast mm-hmm. and i think that also propels it into superstardom for me too and it's not even it's leads that I gravitate towards. It is our man, Boris, Alan Cumming, as, you know, as Fagin Floop, the Floopmeister. And I, I loved him as a kid when I was watching it. And when I watched it again today, he's chewing up the scenery. He's pontificating in every scene. He's clearly enjoying what he's doing, you know, sing songs in the film. It's outrageous and it's just fun. Yeah, I like that he has a children's show that looks like the most nightmarish
1: children's show you could ever watch, (laughs) Bad Baby Laugh. Um, But yeah, they do a lot with that character. You know, he has the virtual room and we have like a musical number with him. Uh, It's just, again, like this is tied in the imagination that I appreciate about the movie. Like it definitely has ideas it's constantly throwing at the audience that keep it moving and keep it feeling vibrant. And that character, I mean, I was making a note that um, he felt a lot like Pee-wee Herman, who was a big influence on me as a young kid watching Pee-wee Herman on TV. Um, But you can also, I mean, I think Rodriguez cites more Willy Wonka, but you can also see The Wizard from The Wizard of Oz in segments of this movie when he's dealing with Junie. So, yeah, there's a lot just going on with that character. Like the world of the Spy Kids as fleshed out by Rodriguez is um, very detailed and I think really well filled out by a cast that's all on the same page.
0: Yeah, no one is above this work. Everyone's just trying to make it the best film it can be. And I, I mean, usually I'll try and start with things I like, but I feel like I've naturally come to this because I haven't really criticized the film, whereas you've given it some criticisms. The one thing that probably doesn't work for me apart from the CG is kind of its villains. Mm, yeah, yeah. I use the plural on that one because, you know, at the beginning, you're meant to think it's Floop. And then, you know, Tony Shaloub is also a villain, also Terry Hatcher, Robert Patrick. I'm probably missing someone, at least four villains there. And Floop is your main villain, I suppose. But then he becomes a good guy by the end. And he actually appears in one of the later films, if my memory serves. So I, I, that's a bit messy. I find the villains to be quite messy.
1: Yeah, I found that as well. Like, they want to set up Floop as your main adversary, and you have these agents who are going missing and getting turned into um, some sort of terrifying-looking mutants. I got to say, that is nightmare-inducing. Like, did that shake up you or any of your siblings as a kid?
0: No, I was often trying to smush their faces and turn them <laughs> into uh, turn them fooglies, uh, as it were. But, yeah, in terms of a torture... I think I would rather have you know being strapped to the ground and covered in crabs, or you know one of, or maybe shoot me with a laser in half than being turned into one of those.
1: It looks pretty grim, but um, yeah, like so they set up him as the main adversary, and then you have a real change of heart with that character where he becomes their ally, and yeah, you have the minion character played by Tony Shaloub becomes the main villain, and I just felt like in a ninety minute movie it was a lot to jump through to have your villain switch over to a different villain. And Robert Patrick is wandering in and out. Um, I I probably would have cut maybe the Robert Patrick character as much fun as he is in a moment here, especially where he's dealing with the robot version of his son. But um, I would have probably kept Terry Hatcher. I think she works fairly well. But it's just, it's a little too much. And the character journey of the uh, Floop character just gets, it's tough to pull off in a 90-minute breakneck movie.
0: Well, I, I will say any film that sets Terry Hatcher on fire has a tick from me. So that's another reason why I love this film. Uh, m- maybe that will uh, cause the uh, the wood to be more animated. <laughs> oh, that's gold.
1: Although anyone who listened to the Tomorrow Never Dies episode knows where you're coming from there.
0: Yeah, ne- never never on uh, Team Hatcher, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I when I watched it the second time today, I tried to pay attention to Floop. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't it this isn't a spy movie you're supposed to be digging into but I was digging into it and it does kind of leave breadcrumbs about him being kind of regretful about what he's doing and unsure and he's kind of it feels like he's being manipulated by the minion character and the Robert Patrick's of the world not to say he's not being bad he is still a villain in the film but it's not like the change comes out of nowhere. Mhm. I think it's at least maybe not earned but it's signposted. Yeah.
1: It's it's very quick, and it, I feel like it's dealing with it very much on a kid movie level. Mm. Whereas I find this is where me as like the adult viewer kind of gets a little frustrated. It's the wrong word, but it just feels very quick to me. Like it's not the sort of thing that is overly satisfying. I suppose.
0: I wonder if this film's and and the love I have for it is just tied into nostalgia. I,
1: well, that's impossible for me to say, but I do think, like for example, if you were. Um, having me review the mask, uh, you know, the Jim Carrey film today, a lot of that would be derived from having watched that movie like 85 times as a kid. So it does factor in, I try to divorce myself as much as I can from nostalgia. Um, I will totally admit issues with say the Ninja Turtles film, the original. Um, but, uh, you know, they do hold a place in our hearts,
0: movies like this. Okay, so I I won't beat myself up, but then asking you 90 minutes this film. You clearly weren't a huge fan of it, not that you were against it particularly, but it's just it's just something you watched. Yeah. If I made you sit down and watch it again right now, would you have trouble doing it?
1: No, no. I mean, it's too fast-paced. It's got too much going on. It we've watched movies where nothing happens. <laughs> we've watched The House on 92nd Street, which I'm determined to make the most mentioned movie on this podcast, but like Nothing happened practically. So, this is a movie where, again, like I'm not complaining about the movie in terms of its imagination. Like, I think that keeps it going. That's what makes it feel fast paced and energetic is that Robert Rodriguez, I mean, he says that script was like (laughs) even bigger originally. And you could feel a guy who had so many ideas that to call them down to what we have here, he still had a ton and he's just hurling them left, right, and center. It's almost like maybe a, an adult viewer and again for kids this probably works 100 percent for kids who are watching it but as an adult it's a sort of thing where you go oh I would have liked to have seen a little more about that um I would have liked to have known a little more about Cheech Marin you know like it very much speeds through all the relationships you know you have a scene where the kids sit down with Danny Trejo for dinner and it's like over in like five seconds or something like it's very quick it's little sequences like that that I would have liked to have Seen a little more. It's to me what separates a movie like, you know, Spy Kids, which just wants to entertain. That's its pure goal, is just to keep you entertained for 90 minutes from something like, you know, like, I don't know, E.T. or something, which is very interested in delving into relationships and themes. This movie's not. It has the thematics of, you know, a family coming together, but it's very much just like carry you through at a fast pace and just, you know, keep you constantly distracted with new ideas and effects and all that sort of thing.
0: See, I'm glad you mentioned that dinner scene because I did have a question for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're closer to Mexico than I am. Not, I, not I, that close, myself. but yeah. No, no, I know, but like you're closer than I am. Have you ever heard of people eating pig's intestines? I haven't,
1: but I also was like, maybe that is something I, I don't know.
0: I'm not per- particularly familiar. Yeah, not even making a joke about it. I was yeah. genuinely curious because it's not played for a laugh in the film. No, they're just, just eating. I have no memory of that scene as watching it from a kid. So when I saw it again today, I was, I, I wasn't sure if it was there for a laugh or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: no, I don't think so. Although there is like a line where she says something like, she drops the food on the table and goes, "Well, now I'm not going to eat it," as if like that's kind of the punchline. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not up too up on like Mexican delicacies or you know if whether that would be a food item that would that they would be eating.
0: Well, I want to take us into. Some of the characters now we've got, I I guess our lead is Antonio Banderas, I I suppose or the or, or the spy kid's our lead. I well,
1: Antonio Banderas is the reason the movie's probably getting greenlit, right? Like he's the one mm-hmm. they're going to attach. He was, I believe, the first on board for the movie, so yeah, it's sold largely on him, at least from a studio perspective.
0: I give again, I give the film points for Banderas and Gugino's adults the parents i think they're both the, the story of how they met that's that little montage at the start i think is really great it's exposition without it feeling like exposition and and that's really well handled and i i like all the stuff where he goes to the school and he gets kind of emasculated in front of the the parent he has to hold back because you know right down he's, he's got that james bond kick-ass style but he's he's playing it dad
1: Mm-hmm. I loved the whole flashback on how they met and everything. It felt almost like something in a Wes Anderson movie filtered through the sensibilities of Rodriguez, where, you know, they're going on the dates and they're standing like far apart on the Eiffel Tower or sitting at separate tables at a restaurant. It's played in a very storybook fashion. I thought that was just visually
0: really interesting. And then, of course, you get the wedding right afterwards where those really real helicopters come flying over. Definitely not CG, very real helicopters. <laughs> definitely not cg (laughs) no 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 um but i love like the stuff in the car and you get to the school i that whole entrance of the spies now uh, they go on to get captured a little bit later on the film but that's my probably my favorite bit of them too and then they kind of disappear from the film yeah well we get bits of them when they're captured and escaping a couple times but yeah by and large the kids take over the movie and this is where i think the the gamble of the film is because it becomes about the kids and you, you then and Banderas is not your POV character anymore. And I I hadn't heard of these. I've never really seen these two kid, child actors in anything else since, apart from being in the spy kid sequels. I don't know if they've been on, gone to be more successful.
1: Yeah. Alexa Vega, as she's known here, but her married name is Alexa Peña Vega. Um, she showed up in the second Machete film, but that's about it. I think she is still working though regularly.
0: Wait, did, did she play Carmen Cortez? Yeah. In the Machete film? Oh, no, oh, no, no, sorry. Uh, oh, you almost made my day. I was like, yes, the R-rated sequel. No, she played an assassin in the film. Oh, that's a, that's unfortunate. But okay, so she's still going, but it, it takes a punt having these two guys be your lead. Now, having kids' films is, is tough enough. Having them led by kids and child actors is another you know punt down the field as well. And I think they both deliver. I I, I definitely put myself into uh, maybe more Carmen's shoes than than Junie, personally.
1: I think kids' films are very difficult uh, because they often say with children's performances, the quality of them can be strongly measured by um, the director and the adult actors they're working with. Now, in this case, the kids actually don't have a lot of adult actors to act off of regularly, they do have scenes with you know Trejo and their parents and um, you know Ellen coming, but by and large they are on their own. So I would really give a lot of the you know credit there. First off, I think they're decent actors, which helps. I also think Rodriguez, being a father, also probably had a pretty good hand in helping guide their performances. And it, it was interesting watching it last night in that. The performances, I think, work. Uh, I believe them as children. They don't feel like weird Hollywood robot children, Mm -hmm. which you sometimes see in these movies. They felt like genuine kids, which I appreciated. Um, But I also feel like we've gone through an evolution of child acting since this movie came out. And I don't think the kids would quite be played this way now. It feels like of its time and it, it works 100 percent for its time i think they're decent performances but i i do think if you made this movie now in the wake of stuff like you know you have harry potter coming out this same year and you look at the performances those kids are giving and would continue to give through that franchise i think we've kind of reached a different level of child acting we have uh, expectations for as an audience
0: but they're different films
1: yeah they are different films but i just mean in general in this in the industry i don't think you would get kids performances like this now
0: see, I, I i just think that uh well i mean i don't particularly rate the actors in the harry potter films personally for their acting uh that's just me mm-hmm. um so i i i i i see where you're coming from i suppose but i don't know if i necessarily make that distinction
1: Well, it's just something I've noticed, you know, I watch a lot of old Disney movies and you see the evolution of how child performances are. You know, you go back to like the 50s, 60s, the kids are really shrill. They yell a lot. And then you get into like the 80s, you still have stuff like Goonies, which is also, it's a lot of yelling over top of each other and stuff. This movie, I think it, it, the kids really do work for the movie, but I think you would in 2021, you would see very different
0: performances coming out of those kids in a movie. For me, the whole sibling rivalry works because I had four brothers that were, you know, often shouting at me for one reason or another, you know, usually hanging off of a jungle gym, which is what we do. Um, And so I I think that that sort of camaraderie works one of the reasons I like the film so much.
1: Well, I think the camaraderie works. I buy the relationships completely. I just mean in terms of performance style. I think that would be a little different. But again, that's not a knock on the movie. It was made in 2001. Mm. It's not made in 2021. It's just an observation I noticed, but in terms of the dynamic and in terms of buying them as a brother and sister, oh yeah, I think it totally works.
0: I think I'm having a hard time getting a read on this one altogether because it, it's so. I, I like this film; it's quite clear that I do. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to talk about it in the same way you talk about something like GoldenEye, it's just a totally different film. And so when I'm I'm thinking about hey, like performances I liked, yes, but they're kids. Like I I, I almost give them like a pass. Whereas maybe I should be more critical? I don't know. I, I maybe I'm the one that's not being critical enough here. You have to sit through more children's movies and watch some
1: terrible child performances. Uh, that will that will definitely wisen you up. <laughs> and these are and these are not that. okay. I, I can't wait for Spy kids form when we have different kids. Yeah, who knows, right? I haven't seen that movie, so maybe we'll be dealing mm. with something very different. I think the the kids here are good. Um, I think they both work as their individual characters and, feel distinct um i could describe them you know in a you know i could describe these characters over the course of you know writing a page which is a credit to the writing as well as the performances like there's genuine characteristics they have personality i, I did have one
0: question about uh juni mm. and personal experience i i have never seen this but what's on the fingers yeah i don't
1: really know anything about that
0: no like it apparently comes from sweaty hands, which just comes from nervousness, but I've never had kids walking around the school with, you know, bandages on their fingers.
1: Well, I did have them on my feet when I was a kid. So I don't know. There's a there's a factoid for the audience there.
0: <laughs> Everyone's got a really weird mental image now of you walking around with, you know, pink bandages on your feet. That's that's lovely. Yeah. yeah. That.
1: Um this review's taking a
0: dive here. Yeah, Let's
1: pull up. It's probably when I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, eight or
0: nine years old or something. Okay, I, I feel like I can kind of let you off at that age, mm-hmm. but I, I suppose in sort of going off into maybe your critiques a bit more, and and one of the things you said was about the CG, which I think we both agreed, it's just stuck in the time and the restrictions of having someone doing everything on the film. Yeah, otherwise it would have been in production for another two years, and it just would would have been awful. Um, one thing that is a positive and a negative is its pace. Mm-hmm. It barrels through, and it's only ninety minutes, which I love, but. As you say, characters get discarded. Like, I still don't know why Terry Hatch's character turned on them.
1: Yeah, well, it's, again, like, that's, to me, where uh, it's that whole dividing line between kids' movie and family film. Um, It works on a kids' movie level, where it's just, like, they're pretending to be your friend, but they're actually evil. Um, I feel like a more um, fleshed-out, you know, family-oriented film would spend more time giving the adults a little more understanding as to the psychology of that character i don't Mm -hmm. i don't have a problem like the thing is it's like rodriguez wants to make a kid's film and he's following that sort of playbook for these characters so i'm not gonna knock him for doing that i just have to take it at a very superficial level which isn't as satisfying for me as a 40 year old man
0: (laughs) watching spy kids (laughs) Hey, yeah, I'm 34, I watched it twice today, so don't, we're both having trouble with our lives right now, don't worry. Sure, sure, but like, no, no Time Today was premiered yesterday and I'm sitting at home watching Spy Kids. <laughs> What's up with that? But do you know what I mean? Like the
1: expectations of like a family film versus like a kid's movie where like there very much is a difference. Like when I go in, I referenced it earlier, like Coco, Coco is like speaking often to me Mm. versus like Spy Kids is not. And that's it's right. And that's what Rodriguez wanted to do. He wanted to speak directly to kids and the movie. You know, obviously you look at the box office, kids responded to it very strongly. You yourself. But like to an adult, I don't know that
0: it speaks as much to them. Maybe if you play the uh, the fuglies to the adults mm. backwards, that's how they understand the film. Yeah, yeah, that that that's it. Um, again, that was a clever touch. I like that. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was that was cool. And and this is the bit I wanted to touch on. Sort of, the plot is quick. It moves very fast, but I think the spy stuff is is pretty good. And we don't often dig into the actual spy elements of a film because a lot of the time, it's the whole film. Whereas this is kind of a family story and they're spies. Yeah. And I, I quite like the whole, you know, infiltration of of the base and, you know, learning to become spies and you know, meeting their uncle who makes gadgets. And as I mentioned earlier, it never takes the Mickey out of the genre it's in. Uh, I, I liked them being spies. I believe them as a family of, of, of spies by the end.
1: Well it's very clearly made by a filmmaker that loves James Bond stuff, like and gets it. Because mm. you have a lot of homages. But we've talked about movies that pay tribute to bond in very overt ways like incredibly where they're you know standing there being like uh more jonathan moore like that is very on the nose like hey we're doing a james bond riff this movie bond fans are gonna pick up on it you know like there's some subtle things like there was the boat sequence that looks a lot like the boat sequence in from russia with love at one point where they're being trailed by the ships Mm -hmm. and um very subtle like it's not something that's like i feel like i'm in a james bond movie kind of dialogue or something like that it's just played and you'll pick up on it or you won't um you look at the scene where they're sitting with minion at the table and it's very much like dr no where he's wearing similar kind of wardrobe but it's a filmmaker who may love these things and lets little bits of the influence seep into the movie and give it its energy but he's not like, look at me, I'm doing James Bond. Hey, look over here. Here's a Goldfinger homage that's really on the nose. He just kind of builds his own world and lets some of those elements seep in.
0: I I also don't think anyone would want to see James Bond's sister turning up and calling him Butterfingers. (laughs) Good point. Good point. Yeah. Is that Jane Bond? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. Um... Uh, apart from that like it, it's it's kind of hard to do a deep dive on a film like this because as you said it, it's it's very much surface level stuff there isn't a there isn't much of a backstory on these characters and uh, maybe they'll dig more into it in the in the follow-up films and we'll flesh out these characters but overall i i, I really loved them i was i was worried going back into this'd it be one of those films and we've talked about this before when we're revisiting films from our childhood that just don't hold up And for me, this was, uh, I viewed it differently. It wasn't maybe the laugh a minute it was as a kid, but I I was still thoroughly enjoyed for the three hours I spent with it over the last two days.
1: I mean, I'm genuinely fearful of revisiting the um, silent children's films that I watched as a young one.
0: Isn't that just like on a a projector against a wall, it just spins that circle thing? It was the old
1: Nickelodeon.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to a talkie, Ma talkies that's my teenage years (laughs) (laughs) had you gone from like black and white to uh color at that point
1: Mm, yeah it was it was a terrifying era yeah yeah i remember the first time i ever saw a movie it was when the train was pulling into the station and i thought and we all thought the train was going to come right through the theater screen (laughs) (laughs) was that was that followed by the news (laughs) i think it was before (laughs) the news broadcast that was the first movie ever made was the train (laughs) pulling into the station
0: (laughs) okay no i i thought that's what they used to do it was that they play like a cartoon in the news and then the film or something yeah they did yeah and they would often yeah. have a second feature yeah okay okay <laughs> well i i wanted to know who you would be in this film I, I, like it's because you know it's you and your sister okay are you are you like those two are you more of a junie and your sister you know previous guest uh has been on the show is she more of a Carmen that's tough to say. I'm the
1: older one of the two of us. So the dynamic doesn't really work, I don't think. Um That's really that is kind of tough to say, because I would say in a lot of ways I'm more like the Junie, just in terms of interests and everything. You know, he's got all his action figures. He's obsessed with kind of the fantasy world of flu. That's more me. Um mm. but then like age-wise and that sort of dynamic. I mean, but I, your
0: sister's got the fitness stuff as well.
1: Sure. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I guess she would be,
0: yeah, the um, the sister. Yeah, she's Carmen. The, she's the Carmen. Yeah. Okay. I wonder what she would say on this, actually. I'd be interested to see what she thinks. Having spoken to your sister enough times, I have a feeling she'd want to say she's the one that's in charge. That too. So she's the George Clooney. <laughs> With the black bar that moves. I, Great I, joke. That made me laugh every yeah. time I saw it. That, that, that's a good joke. Yeah. Uh, which actually, I think, brings us on to the sort of the fun cameos we get in the film. Yeah. Um, there's some ones you would see. I mean, obviously, we've mentioned, you know, Danny Trejo, you know, uh, Cheech Marin. Uh, and they're, you know, bigger characters, I suppose. But just, I mean, just having them in the film for all of 10 minutes, more or less, is just just kind of fun. And it fleshes out the world. Oh, yeah.
1: And, like, um, you have the guy who goes missing, Donegan at the start of the movie and is shown throughout the movie looking like a horrific fluble or whatever the word was you know these creations that um floop is making and a fugly a fugly thank you and he's played by mike judge who is the uh creator of beavis and butthead Ah. um he also did silicon valley he directed and wrote office space so like that's crazy (laughs) He does like next to nothing in the movie. You also have director Richard Linklater showing up as a spy. You have the cinematographer, Guillermo Navarro, showing up as a pastor. Like he really does make the most. He's kind of the, um, uh, you know, the filmmaker that does everything. But he also takes all of his cast and throws them all over the place. So you've got people from behind the scenes being thrown in front of the camera. It's kind of a real family dynamic, just
0: the making of these movies. Everyone's getting a payday. It's good stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I think my favorite cameo has to be Danny Trejo, if you call it a cameo, because he's a named character. Sure. He goes on to have his own films later on. But I think that's the highlight outside of the family and the villains.
1: Yeah, I consider him more of like a you know featured character in the film. But um, I think for me, in terms of the cameos, like the uncredited cameos, Clooney is the best. Like him showing up at the end with the black bar and then taking the black bar off his eyes was like a lot of fun and at the time probably wouldn't been wouldn't have been a huge surprise coming off of from Dust till dawn you mm. obviously had a relationship with rodriguez but you watch it now it seems weird right like probably people are a little more like really george clooney is in this movie
0: i'm waiting for him to bring out his like espresso cup and start selling me uh, espresso machines or kitchens which he does over here a lot at the moment as well yeah uh, george, george clooney gets around <laughs> i was actually surprised not to see a
1: salma hayek cameo in this film
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a fair point. Maybe she comes up in the later ones.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. So it seemed genuinely shocking. And in this era, you wouldn't have seen her pop up in a brief role.
0: Because I, I didn't really think about the Dust Till Dawn connection until so watching it today. Uh, obviously, he just, you know, Rodriguez is just assembling his, his, his mates.
1: Yeah. And of course, Alma Hayek is in Desperado as well. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got um a question for you. This movie has a lot, a lot of set pieces a lot and i'm curious you know which ones worked for you or which ones even if the effects didn't hold up particularly well just stand out as
0: like what a fun idea i i did like the jetpack sequence i do have to say even though it looked pretty shoddy uh it, it just it's just enjoyable to watch obviously the jetpack tech has improved since thunderball hmm. they last longer than 10 seconds which is nice uh, i wish i had improved but uh, no. Nope. Still ten seconds. Uh, yeah, probably bad time to take jokes like that, but uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, I think the jetpack sequence is probably the one that jumps out to me when I think about it, or maybe the underwater stuff in the in the submersible with sharks. You get your sharks.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a whole spy who loved me sequence for sure. It's like the lotus there. Um, the sharks were a lot of fun. I mean, I'm always excited to see sharks. I thought they looked a lot better when they were just like you know um, driving through them. Then when we had the sleeping shark sequences, at that point they looked like they were from the TV show reboot, where it was like, "Oh
0: boy, that is some uh, real um <laughs> early." I, I have not heard reboot in like twenty years. Wow, you have <laughs> you've dragged that one out of the grave. Well done. That is reboot. some.
1: Those sharks were some first gen CG going on there. <laughs> oh wow! They
0: might have been the worst CG in the movie. They might be. See, I I can't picture it in my head i might have to go back and look at this really bad cg now i mean i'm gonna to have to find a clip of the reboot guys and the, and the sharks and compare them <laughs> but i do like the idea of the sleeping
1: sharks you know and them having to navigate around them but again when it's like the whole sequence is set off by urination i'm like oh yeah it's a kid's movie <laughs> <laughs> you sound bitter cam you sound a Not bitter, bitter just old and tired kids yeah. are too active <laughs> Why can't they just slow down? <laughs> mm. Um I enjoyed but was also confused by the floor that breaks away into like puzzle pieces. Cause you have it set up early where uh Antonio Banderas and Carla Gigino are going across it and it looks like they're gonna fall through and then land on mm-hmm. basically plexiglass or something. Sure. And then it sh- and then it shows up later and um and Carmen falls right through. I didn't get it.
0: Yeah, I didn't get why it changed. I, Because I, for that to work, it, it's playing against you, the viewer. Mm-hmm. Like that, that joke doesn't work on the kids because both the parents and the kids will react like it's a hole on the floor. So it's only a joke for you, the watcher, and your expectation is that it's plexiglass. So you then they fall through. I, yeah, it didn't really land. I didn't understand. Yeah,
1: that was confusing to me. I did like the virtual room, though. As I said, there was a song number Mm -hmm. in there. They just find ways that, again, like Rodriguez uses every opportunity he can. Anytime he can come up with some sort of little bit of business, he's going to try to create an interesting moment out of it. And I think that's a credit to him as a filmmaker.
0: Yeah, I mean, you also get uh, probably the first time I've ever seen uh, the original series of Star Trek's food in real life. Yeah. Uh, they were eating green and eating yellow and cubes of color. So, uh, you know, Star Trek fans, they will know what we're talking about. But kind of jumping off the jetpacks, this film is filled with spy gadgets. You know, Uncle Machete has a spy store that he runs. So I was actually going to throw a question at you, which was, what was your favorite gadget? Um,
1: That's an excellent question. I... I definitely smiled weirdly at the tracking gum at the start when she threw the gum, when we get the flashback to how the parents met Mm. and Gugino throws the gum underneath Banderas' shoe. I thought that was a fun little detail because it works really well in a kid's movie where kids are going to respond to that, but it's telling an adult story. like It felt like a way to tell a story that kids would not
0: find necessarily interesting and making it kid-friendly. That's a good shout, actually. I didn't even think of that one on my answer. I I had like a two-step answer. The first was whatever the machine was called that turned the people into the Fuglies, mm. uh, because that's just a cool invention, horrifying, horrifying torture device. Uh, you know, up there with, up there with like the, the the spinning blades from the world is not enough. Like I I do not want to end that way is pretty bad and also i i just like the uh another chewing gum actually which is the the disabling chewing gum i suppose it sort of freezes people i thought that was quite fun and also the world's tiniest camera mm-hmm. which is also quite cool i would love to know
1: um you know how many of these ideas came from rodriguez versus him just talking to his kids telling stories to them at night coming up with ideas there there has to be a fairly there's probably a lot of um moments that just kind of seeped into his subconscious just from telling stories to his kids or something.
0: Well, you think like the designs of the Fuglies and stuff like that, that's got to come from a a, a kid's imagination or, or maybe it doesn't. And maybe there's credit to a designer out there that came up to all this stuff, but I, it feels so out there that it almost couldn't come from an adult because we're too restricted in our own ways.
1: Yeah. Like the thumb thumbs were something Rodriguez created when he was 13 and he was in an art contest. So and he won the art contest, so there you go. And so it made sense to bring them over here. And I'm sure, like, I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the, the moment where Rodriguez, who created these things at 13, is sitting on a film set. Um, there was, I think, some practical ones there. Like, most of them are CG, but there are some practical outfits, probably only a couple because uh-huh. of the budget. But just the moment he's seeing one of these realized is probably so surreal.
0: Yeah, can you imagine the thing she designed as a kid just walking past you and and getting some catering? It would be
1: so strange. Like I remember, I wrote my own comic book series called TV Man back in the day, and there was a whole host. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. There was a whole host of characters, and like just the idea of seeing one of them in live action would be bizarre.
0: What was his? Uh, what was his arch nemesis, TV Man?
1: There was a few. There was Doctor Von Cantaloupe Head. There was Samuel Rabbit Mouth. There was Baboom, who was an alien.
0: That's a great name. Uh, yeah. Baboom is a great name.
1: Yeah. Um, there was a lot, actually. There was, I think, Deadline, I think, was one of them. Um, there was probably... Oh, Zaxon, That was another big one. There was, like I think, probably 20 villains or something I came up with.
0: Wow. See, I would have thought it would be more literal. You know, like when we tried to make the arch-villain of Condor Man, we just found the opposite of a Condor. Uh, I thought maybe you'd do something like, I don't know, Cables Out or, uh, I don't know, Bad Reception Man
1: there was okay this is the era like when i'm coming up with all that stuff it's when like venom is really popular in spider-man comics right and suddenly you had all these heroes that had villains that were mirror images of themselves like very literally it was like literally like here's evil spider-man with venom so i did have dark force tv man who was like kind of like a zombified version of the main character it's like the reverse flash
0: yeah kind of yeah okay I, I kind of want to dig more into TV Man. Maybe I just find <laughs> that's that, a separate uh, podcast. <laughs> that that really, really is. Um, okay. Well, I, I have one last sort of note. I think otherwise I'll take us into not Knocklist afterwards. And that is uh, the thing they're trying to find for most of this film is called the third brain. Mm hmm um and the third brain for those who haven't watched the film properly or not seen it in a while is basically this artificial intelligence they want to put into the robots that floop and mr minion have designed to sort of take over the world and eventually try and put it into kid robots etc cetera, etc cetera. but they describe the third brain as the fountain of all sort of spy knowledge so what i thought was is the knock list the third brain oh do we have to change the name now <laughs> yeah Is it making the third brain? It doesn't really roll off the tongue, but you know, I just there's sort of a a point of crossing between the two. I thought was quite nice.
1: We prefer our tortured acronyms. Um, What kind of knowledge is in there? We're we're too dim to figure it out.
0: I mean, as I said, when I went to spy school, I mastered in Baccarat flirting and last minute bomb defusal. Uh, So maybe those lessons are on there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got lots of other ones. Like, every spy needs to know how to put a bow tie on. Mm, yeah, yeah. I can't say I know that. <laughs> no, I've never
1: done a bow tie. I like how they twisted it where the kids were all good at the end and like superheroes. And you had that like hilarious sequence where the kid like saves someone from a fire and then does a thumbs up at the camera.
0: Yeah, that was strange. yeah But uh, was it Judy who did that?
1: uh No, it was like one of the robot children.
0: Oh, oh well, he pulls them out the fire yeah yeah that was uh, yeah I, I that was like a throwaway joke that i found sort of seeing george Clooney turn up was kind of cool but then like just having the kids as this, this superhero force of good around the world you think well what's the point in having any more spies you've got this uh, avengers style kids around the world saving everyone
1: well were you shocked uh i mean you'd seen it many times so maybe not but at least i was shocked when they introduced those robot kids and referred to them as spy kids Whereas in my mind, it was always like the lead characters were the Spy Kids.
0: No, I, I agree. That that made me sort of jump as well. I was uh, surprised they did that. But then uh, we all know ultimately the Spy Kids are, you know, Carmen and Junie. Mm-hmm. They're our Spy Kids, damn it. That's right. Okay, now I am desperately curious to ask you this question, Cam. Desperately curious. Is Spy Kids making the knock list?
1: Um... <sighs> You see now now here's where I struggle because like um we've talked about some of the kids movies coming up, and it's rough, but I also don't think this movie is we did not put on say like the born identity, I think the born identity is a better film than this, so this is where the issue comes in like I think this movie has just uh, it has not aged well in a lot of ways, and so I think my answer is a mild no um I think it has things of merit. Like, I think if you are parents of children who are young, what do you think is the age for like this movie? Like what age would you be telling parents to show this to their kids? I think pretty young. Like
0: 10, five to 10, maybe like if you're going from maybe, maybe eight. Yeah. Maybe that's just the perfect middle line. I think if, if you're in what we would call high school, um, which i i I can't i don't know what the north american equivalent is but from say from the age of 11 basically um i think that's probably getting on to be too old i was 14 when i watched this film and i enjoyed it though to be fair
1: okay yeah i just think to like a children nowadays i think probably under 12 like 12 and under would probably be the perfect age um
0: well this film is longer than a 90 second TikTok video. So kids nowadays would have no time for it. Very true. Spy Kids TikTok coming to you soon. Um, oh god.
1: Yeah, but I will say this like what I admire about this movie is that it's really weird. Like it is a weird movie that could that could only come from Rodriguez pairing with like Dimension Studios. This is not something that would ever come from 20th Century Fox, Warner Brothers, Disney, etc. So I give them a lot of points for that.
0: Okay, so you're going with a mild no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. I'm going with a mild yes. And here's why. Now, to preface, I don't think we can have a entry on the knock list unless we both agree on it. So we can still debate it, and maybe I can sway Cam. But let's see what we can do. I, Firstly, I think this is a really fun film. It's got its faults. Like we said, the villains are kind of interchangeable and and kind of weak and they haven't got a lot of backstory you know mr minion does the whole it's mr minion to you to the surprise of no one because it's tony shalhoub and then proceeds to be not very menacing for the rest of the film terry hatch is just there and she's bald uh robert patrick just shows up at the beginning and the end of the film so really all you're waiting for is alan coming and he becomes a good guy yeah so you haven't really got that sort of tension um and then, of course, as you mentioned, the CG is is bad. But I I don't hold the CG against it. I, I think I can give that a pass because I think that's a, a thing to do with its time. If this had been made in the 60s, it would look awful in its own way. Would it? Like you'd just be seeing strings from the ceiling. I, 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 ugh, I feel like CG has
1: aged in a way that is not watchable. Like I think practical effects have held up a lot better than early CG. I think early CG has rendered like... a lot of movies unwatchable
0: well i always i know i I shouldn't be referencing star trek on a spy movie podcast but i Mm. when i think about bad cg from around this time i always go back to star trek voyager and they have species 8472 oh yeah uh, which is an alien species and they're completely cg rendered and they look absolutely awful now you watch it on a on a widescreen hd tv it's abysmal uh, it's basically just a grey blur on the screen, slapping Harry Kim around, and this is that's what I think of, or, or you know, Bond, you know, uh, tsunami surfing. It just looks bad. Um, I'm willing to give that the pass. What I'm worried about is we have X amount of kids' films to cover. You know, not as many as say we haven't even got as many as the Bond films. We've had less than that. I don't know if we're going to have another good one that I enjoy down the road. And so this is where I got this conundrum where I have a film that I'd like and I would watch again. And I would recommend it to people. If, if I had a, a friend of mine who had kids and said, Scott, I love spy films, but I don't want to show them the Bond films just yet. Can you recommend a spy film that they'll love? Spy Kids, 100%. You know, I think even you could agree to that.
1: Yeah, it's hard to argue against that because maybe this is a real damning statement on the world of spy films for children, mm. like it's very clear that oh, there's a real dearth of like four star spy films for kids. Like they have not cracked it. And you would say, well, I mean, I'm sure Pixar could do it. Not, they couldn't. And I mean, they made Cars 2, which, uh, you know, no spoilers. We'll talk about it down the road. But Cars 2 was not considered a triumph in the world of Pixar.
0: No spoilers on the cars film, yeah, yeah. Ah.
1: <laughs> so, if they haven't even done it, and I'm just like racking my brain, you know, I don't know if we're going to tackle the Despicable Me films. Um, there are things like that, they have spy elements quite strongly. I don't know what to do with The Incredibles, to be honest with you. And that's maybe a conversation we'll have to have because they're so influenced by spy films. Mm. And I look at the original Incredibles, which does a lot of the things this movie does as well. Um, I don't know what to do about The Incredibles,
0: honestly. I think with The Incredibles, it'll be something we tackle. If we decide to tackle it, it'll be down the line. We've got hundreds of films on our list. We're not going anywhere. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll get to it if we get to it, and the only other one I can think of is the recent Will Smith Tom Holland film *Spies in Disguise*. But I never saw it, so I have no opinion going into this about it. That's maybe influencing what I'm thinking. So I'm trying to be objective and go look. I I I shouldn't be saying this because it's the only one that I think is good. Yeah. Because I don't remember the other Spikiest films. Maybe they're even better. I remember watching them, but I couldn't tell you the plot. I would say my educated guess is. Probably not like just if you look
1: at Rotten Tomatoes scores alone, mm-hmm. um, this one scored significantly higher than the other entries did, so yeah, it, it is tough. It's, um, a situation we haven't really found ourselves in where we want the knock list to showcase all that spy movies can do, mm-hmm. and when you don't have that standout in front candidate for children's films, you know what? I'm just having a moment here. You realize we talked about Cloak and Dagger. That was a children's film as well. We didn't mention that up top. This is actually not
0: our first spy children's film. (laughs) I I will grant you that, but in terms of kids' films, it was very much an 80s kids' film because there's some dark elements in that one. Yeah, that's true. Um, It's tough because like,
1: I understand the appeal of putting it on the list so that you can say, here's your spy kids' movie. And now I'm just like fighting with myself because this movie is like not as good, I don't think, as Men in Black, for example. So it's like, are we putting it on just to have a kids movie on? That's that's where my struggle comes.
0: But when I fell down on Men in Black, not because of the film, I fell down on Men in Black because it was just not spy enough for me. That was my reason for saying no. Right. And this is very spy. There's there's no there's no argument that this is a spy film. It's in the bloody title. Yeah. Yeah. I I I don't wanna I'm not gonna press you into changing your mind. If you're a no and I'm a yes, it can just be one of those weird maybes that just sit on neither list. It's just it's just there in the ether. I don't I just don't know if we're gonna have a film like this again. And I'd almost rather be wrong and take the, you know, chastisement down the road when we find a much, much better kids spy film and go, Oh well, this is clearly the one. Mm-hmm. I, I'd almost rather campaign for this, and I, I, I also would just watch it again. I think it's a fun film.
1: I will say this: what is actually causing me to consider giving it the very, very, very mild yes, isn't so much. Um, well, the, the, having a movie for young kids is obviously an element, but just the fact that no spy movie is like this, and I don't just mean in terms of, you know, the effects or the um, the types of sequences i mean the fact it's made by rodriguez with entirely his sensibilities a cast you would not see in any spy movie ever since and probably even today Mm -hmm. it seems kind of unlikely to me even now they would make a movie like this you know like that a major studio would make a movie like this it feels like something that's daring in a way that it doesn't get the credit it deserves and rightfully daring there should be more movies like spy kids out there that embrace, you know, a diverse cast, or you know, are introducing families of different backgrounds and presenting it for a universal storytelling. Like that is just something that we should be doing more of. Disney is doing a lot of it now, but they're like twenty years after this. Like they do not deserve credit for it. I think I look at this movie and go, this movie deserves the credit. So that is actually what's kind con- of honestly like tipping me a little more towards the yes. So I think. I think let's say it's a mild, very, very mild yes for me, but it's something that I would not feel like I was wrong or had'd made a bad decision if this movie was being recommended to young children to watch because mm-hmm. I think this is how hopefully more movies are made in the future, at least from an imagination and a um you know
0: um behind the scenes kind of approach. I stick to what I said. I would recommend this to kids to watch especially i i wouldn't recommend kids go watch hannah sure that's I would. It's not for them i would well maybe <laughs> true, true lies maybe it's kind of fun for kids in its own way um yeah in more of an adult way but there's not many on the Knocklist i think that kids should see at the age of six yeah yeah and I almost want to I I want to cater for them. And also at the same time, you know, the, the whole idea of the Knocklist is if someone says, I don't know anything about spy films, give me a list of great ones. Now they might see this as a kids' film and go, I don't want to watch a kids' film. Okay. Fine. They have to watch it. But it's still a great spy movie. I don't think you could walk out this and go, the spy stuff's not great. hmm And and so that's I I'll stick to my yes.
1: And it could also be a bit of a bridge for young kids to eventually you know be interested in the world of James Bond because a lot of just the storytelling and the elements here are the sort of thing that if you were really into as you know a seven or eight year old might cause you to be drawn to Bond movies later down the road. So yeah,
0: yeah. I mean this this film leads right into
1: inflatable gondolas. Mm, definitely, definitely. They're going to be really shocked though if they jump from this movie into the Daniel Craig era.
0: It <laughs> would know, like License to Kill and the guys blowing up in the boiler.
1: Yeah, that too. <laughs> Yeah, i was thinking of casino royale where he's getting his testicles whipped
0: with a rope tune in next week kids (laughs) (laughs) so it sounds like i have brought cam on side and he is now a proud member of the oss and i'll give him his bracelet (laughs) uh and so it looks like spy kid's is making the knock list yes i never thought i'd convince cam it's one of my only times i've actually convinced you i think no you did for our man flint as well oh wow Um, i mean that was a while ago though to be fair that's a good few months so i've I've been saving this one up but i'm i'm glad it's made it on even if it is like a a a weird question mark entry off to the side maybe we can discuss again down the road and hopefully we find a kids film that supersedes it yeah I hope we find that. I, I want to be wrong. I want to eat my words and say this isn't the best.
1: Yeah, it's just a bummer when I look at the list we have for movies to tackle in the future. There's no E.T. equivalent of spy kids movies coming up. Like, there's just nothing out there. Hey, E.T.'s in
0: a blanket being mm. smuggled. Maybe he's undercover. Maybe E.T. is the perfect spy kids film. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he has to make it on to the show before The Incredibles. Yeah, that's, it's the race. On a bike.
1: Yeah. <laughs> E.T. belongs on the knock list.
0: <laughs> it's on his finger. He's got the bandages.
1: <laughs> E.T. looks at the knock list and he's like, I'll be right here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cam has been practicing that voice for a very long time. Mm. Uh, well, there you go, guys. Spy Kids is making the knock list, and as such, the dossier on the film is complete and filed. That's classified. But Cam, what are we doing next week?
1: We are tackling 1965's Operation Crossbow starring Sophia Loren, a movie that I don't know if people are familiar with, but it looks crazy. It's a World War II spy film, uh, a lot of action. I've watched the trailer. That's about all I know, and I'm really excited to tackle it. I have two
0: things to say. Firstly, it's probably our second World War II-esque one in the quite recent memory so i'll be interested to see if it does something different yeah uh, and two i hope it has a crossbow in it it better i'm getting
1: vibes it's a little more in line with where eagles dare than the
0: eagle has landed okay more actiony than cerebral definitely okay well i i loved where eagles dare so i hope operation crossbow hits the mark we will find out well, there you go, folks. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to check out Operation Crossbow with Sophia Loren and join us next week. We are, of course, a proud member of Quite the Thing Media and Breed podcast networks, and you can find out more about them on their respective websites. And don't forget to follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, whatever you do, Believe in yourself and your dreams will come true for you and you and you.